Welcome to this week's edition of the Canucks Pod. I'm Satyar Shaw with Alex Ald. And what a week it has been. It was Burroughs week at Rogers Arena. Canucks playing the Ottawa Senators. Alex Burroughs' Ring of Honor induction happened. And we actually had a chance, Aldi and myself, to sit down with Alex Burroughs for a very long, extensive interview. And it was an interview on a couch. And here it is. is the Canucks Pod with Satyar Shah and Alex All. So what's up, Alex? How's today been? A bit of a whirlwind? Um, no, not you. You have to differentiate which, fine, which Alex. Fine. Al- Alex. Alex. Okay. Yeah. Or Burr? Burr. I'll yeah, Burr's that. good. All right. Uh, no, it's been uh, not too bad. I've, like It's a quick 48 hours for me here on the West Coast. Uh, we were on the East Coast with my... Uh, AHL team were on the road for the last six days and then finally uh, got in uh, on Sunday. It was a quick dinner with the family and then yesterday I was uh, busy running around about around the city and doing some stuff uh, in the community and now again today media and it's me- seeing uh, ex-teammates and uh, people in the organization and then right back at it tonight and I'm leaving after the game because we got a game tomorrow. So a pretty crazy 48 hours. That is busy. That's yeah. uh, pretty nuts for sure. What I mean, when you first heard about this going into the Ring of Honor with the Canucks, what were your emotions like? What does it mean to you? Well, it means a lot. Never, never, never in my wildest dreams when I played or as a kid I would ever have thought I would receive this uh, incredible honor. And uh, for me, it means a lot. Uh, I feel that I was lucky along the way to be surrounded by so many good people, either former teammates that I've worked with, uh, coaches, uh, great. Op- I've had some good opportunities, good timing with uh, some of the teams and teammates I've had. So uh, it means a lot, but I've been uh, pretty uh, lucky, and that's how I see it. Well, it's, I mean, it's it's pretty cool. When I look back at your career, I mean, obviously we kind of turned pro around yeah. the same time. It's And I, I joined uh, Sat and, and his co-host, Andrew Walker, on the program last night. We kind of talked a little bit about you. And I think about it, like, it would be – not many Canucks first round picks were able to carve out the type of career you had. What is it about you, do you think, that I'm not going to say made you special, but made you able to overcome long odds and, and end up being a really prominent player for this organization? Uh, I think it, like, as a kid, I always dreamed of playing in the NHL. Like, I always wanted to and quickly realized maybe I wasn't good enough or strong enough or big enough. And I got bigger as a got a bit older and then I played my junior years as a 19 year old rookie and a 20 year old and then grinded it out in the east coast because I loved the game so much I loved being at the rink and I wanted to just get to the American Hockey League and when I got to the American Hockey League and you were there in 0405 um, I remember Zinger telling me that you're only getting called up for the weekend and uh, that first weekend we had a three and three and uh, and I fought Steve Ott on the Sunday instead of going back to the coast the steamer uh Randy and Zinger told me, you're coming to Winnipeg with us. And once I got to Winnipeg, I quickly realized that, like, you had played in the NHL the year before. Mm -hmm. Kess had played in the NHL. Josh Green had played in the NHL. Lee Gorin had played in the NHL. uh, Wade Brookbank, uh, Jonathan Akins, like, a lot of players. And then I'm, like, part of you guys that were, like, a bomber, too, as a D-man. Like, you guys were such so good to me. And, and, like, you guys taught me that – it might be possible if you guys were grinding and working to get to the NHL and I was practicing with you guys, I felt that I just need to keep getting better and maybe I'll get to the NHL. And uh, and 
Winnipeg was a great setup at the time. We closed that old Winnipeg arena, yeah, opened right. the MTS Center, and my apartment was right behind the MTS Center. And I didn't have a girlfriend uh, living with me at the time, so I was at the rink all day pretty much. I was from 8 o'clock till I might stay 4 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon. I'd be at the rink. We'd go on the well, ice there and was, practice. I mean, to be fair, there was a Moxie's in the rink. Oh, there was yeah, a Moxie's okay. also <laughs> in the rink. That's where you guys would go, and I'd stay at the gym. But <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> No, that's not true. But uh, we uh, spent a lot of time there, and the gym was beautiful. And like I was living the dream big time now, uh, making a little bit more money, and then just being in this f great facility in Winnipeg, surrounded by great teammates. And then I learned so much from you in that year. Like It was a strong year in the, in the American League. There were so many good players. Like I remember Rochester, they had so many guys that played yep. for the... Uh, like Vanek, Roy, Palmerville, Ryan Miller, uh, Ryan Miller yeah. and that, like uh, even like Toronto had some good players. Uh, I remember Bingo at like the Spezza, Vermet, <laughs> Neil, McGrattan, uh, Schubert, uh, like guys that really had really good career. So that year was really strong, and Randy was really hard on the young guys, and he was good to me because he made us work, come in every day, and put in the work. And finally, as I, the year went on, I got better a little bit, and then uh, the following year, more of an offensive role with AV and then I caught my break like uh, there was a few injuries with the Canucks and I uh, was able to get my first chance to play in the NHL. Well you, t you talk about that year in, in the American Hockey League and, and I agree it was it was a strong year because of the lockout so a lot of players who would have been playing in the NHL were they gave the, a lot of guys signed these lockout provision contracts yes. so they were able to play in the NHL and develop and it was such a strong league but the thing I loved about it uh, that was a special group we had but I love that there was none of the jealousy or animosity of who got called up nope. or getting sent down. You never lost your rhythm because you stayed in one place all year, which is one of the really real challenges in the minors is yes, that up and sure. down and getting sent back down. And there's almost a transition period back. And it was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I didn't know that I was so great to you. Yeah. <laughs> and I just springboarded your career like that. No, but it, it was, it was a good year. Um, a lot of fun. It was special. That's, fun to hear you talking yeah. about it like that because I, I look back on that year fondly as well and it, the point you made about getting there and realizing okay I'm playing with guys and against guys that have played at that level um, that gives you a little bit of confidence that you can do it that's a bit of a mindset thing too I think because some players get there and they're like look at all of these players like how can I ever be better than this guy or that yeah. guy whereas you took it the opposite approach you were like He's been there, and I'm, I'm either as good as him or almost as good as him, so I can do it. Exactly. That's exactly how I looked at it. And uh, and for me, the other thing that I didn't have any expectations, like I didn't have people expecting me to do big things. Mm. Everybody, And I think that was a little bit lighter on my shoulders than maybe a first-rounder where yep, yep. there's expectations that he's going to be save the franchise. He's going to do so many great things, and where I didn't have everything i worked for but i didn't feel any expectations i played on a fourth line at nine minutes I had to just go out and work hard and compete and be in people's face and do whatever i needed to do to just stay in the lineup and but that was my role and that's all i and if i would score a goal it would get in a fight or get an assist it was all bonus where maybe that first rounder if only gets that one goal oh he people tend to see uh, the the lack in his game instead of looking at the positives I want to go back to the ECHL for a moment. Uh, had a chance to talk to John Marks, your yeah. coach with yeah. uh, Greenville. Wow. And, uh, well, number one, he says, say hi to Alex yeah. for us when you get a chance to talk to him tomorrow. And he said, I'm very proud of him. And he actually mentioned a few times when he watched you play in the NHL, he got emotional because he's like, he saw you in those moments and he was so proud of where your career went. And he talked about how when you came to Greenville, you did 
everything possible to make an impression. And all your teammates love you because you put in all that work. How much did a guy like him help you as your first professional head coach? Boy, he helped me a lot for sure. It was my first year in pro hockey. You're in uh, South Carolina where hockey is not really the number one sport. Everybody talks about college basketball, college football. That's all uh, people really follow. And John was really good to me. Like he was an old school coach. He had played in the NHL. So I really looked up to him. He played, he had a great career in the Chicago with the yeah. Blackhawks. And so I really looked up to him. I finally had an NHL coach kind of thing. And uh, in the, even if it was in the ECHL and started off as the 10th forward on a three where normally you roll three line in the ECHL. And I was the 10th forward. So I didn't play much. So I needed to find a way to get noticed. And uh, he gave me my chance, a few opportunities. But somehow later on in the year, he traded me to uh, Baton Rouge, where Baton Rouge only had 15 games left in the year, were out of the playoffs mathematically, and they were folding at the end of the year. So that was like the worst <laughs> day of my life. life. Yeah. <laughs> so what am I going to go do to in that Baton Rouge? And uh, so I finally decided to go as LSU campus. So I enjoyed my time at, on LSU campus, and we enjoyed our si ourselves at a Mardi Gras parties in New Orleans before Katrina. Uh, those were good memories, and I still have some friends on that team that I played with, and that's where Zinger saw me play for the first time in Baton Rouge uh, and in those 15 games. I remember we got shut out four games in a row one time, and it was really tough, but I, we st I still enjoyed coming to the rink and trying to get better, and when Zinger finally saw me and he kind of liked me a little bit, he said I was going to offer you to come to Vancouver training camps, and the following year I jumped all over it, and uh, that's where I got my break. And for those who don't know, Zinger, the, he's now the assistant GM of the Winnipeg Jets, mm -hmm. Craig Heisinger. He's, it's funny because he came up through hockey, kind of like your story yes. in a way, right? Like where he stands in the NHL now as an executive assistant GM of an NHL team. He used to be the trainer with the Winnipeg right. Jets, didn't want to move to Arizona when they moved to Phoenix. Then he was like the trainer, the equipment manager for IHL Manitoba Moose and then the AHL assistant GM. Like he's really worked his way up. But talk about how important he's been in your career and influential. And like you said, he just dis discovered you, yes. but also had confidence in you. Yeah. He, he always told me that he saw something special in me, saw the fire inside of me, but uh, MU is trying to construct a best team possible for the Winnipeg, uh, for Winnipeg and the Manitoba Moose. Yeah. And he, we remember one of our teammates back then, Jimmy Roy, yep. he kind of saw a Jimmy Roy in me where I was, Jimmy was feisty would never take a night off, would challenge anyone, would keep everybody accountable in the locker room. And he kind of saw the upside of Jimmy in me when I, I was playing in the ECHL. So is he wanted me to be a Jimmy Roy, and me, I probably he never told me that at the time, but I wanted always to push for the NHL, and it, it worked out. And uh, he's one of the best executives in the NHL. He saw some great talent, like Rick Rippon. He's the yep. one that found Rick. Uh, even Jason Jaffrey was another guy that was – no one really yes, talked yep. about and had a decent career in the American League, played some games in the NHL a couple of years. So uh, he's uh, got a good net for uh, talent, too, and he's a really good eye for it to be a scout. And Anton Roussel kind of went through that, too. He came yep. with the team, and he was on part, part of a PTO, and he went through a number of different levels. But I think for every person in a high leverage situation, there's a moment where you kind of feel like it's not going to happen. And, you know, you mentioned go to Baton Rouge, and... I think there's always a part where you kind of doubt where the future is going to hold, and you're like, okay, well, do I have to do something different? And then something just opens, that door yes. opens, and the next thing happens. How close were you to being like, maybe I got to pursue something different in life? Oh, I was really close at one point. Uh, I played two years, so 
21 and played in ECHL, 22 played in ECHL. And then the lockout year 04 or 05, I got cut the last one of the Manitoba moves. So I was like the last few cuts. So anyways, so I went bound for my third straight year in the ECHL and in Columbia. And that point, I'm like, I can't be making 450 bucks a week again. I'm 23. All my buddies back home are almost finishing their degree. They're going to have some real jobs. Like, I'm going to have a tough time here making this a career. And I told myself or told my parents that at Christmas, I was still in the ECHL. I was probably going to pack it in and go to university and try to study a, to find a job somewhere. But three games in, I had a good start. And then the lockout was confirmed. So... The rule in the AHL went from 10 forwards to you could roll four lines. So they it brought up two extra spots. So that's when I was able to get called up. But then Zinger called me up. But he thought it might be some Vancouver draft picks, some guys that were in the system like Tim Smith, Jesse Schultz, Brendan Nolan at the time that were probably going to take those two extra spots. But I think he liked the fact that uh, I fought Steve out on the Sunday afternoon in Hamilton. <laughs> it all comes and, back uh, to that. After that, uh, he was running around and... Uh, so I think that was the way I, I made myself notice. And every game, then I try to get better, try to be a hound dog, energy guy, agitator, uh, trying to fill in as in any role I could. And uh, it was a great year in Winnipeg. I really enjoyed my time there. So then we fast forward a little bit. What were you? What was going through your mind before your first NHL game? Well, I got the call. I remember we were at um, Earl's, one of your favorite <laughs> spots in Winnipeg. <laughs> And uh, we were having... Um, you were chugging Long Island iced tea. Oh, probably, <laughs> probably. <laughs> but it was uh, New Year's Eve, and uh, we were meeting as a team. And I remember Lee Gornett got sent down. He came to me uh, at Earl's, and he told me, I think they were making your jersey in Vancouver. Like, uh, like take it easy tonight. Like, get some sleep. Don't, like, go all-nighter, Aldi style. <laughs> so <laughs> you got to make sure that... Not uh, true. You get... <laughs> You got to make sure you get some sleep. So I, I'm like, okay, I'll probably take it easy. Stay Did you believe midnight. him though? Like, yeah, I believe him. Did he like? That seems like a joke. Not that they. Well, would be... maybe it might have been, but I think Lee. We always. Okay. I always liked Lee. Uh, I thought he was, uh, and he was up, and because he didn't like you, but. Yeah. but... <laughs> <laughs> but and then uh, he was. He told me that it might have been a joke. By that time, next two, next thing I knew, the next day, they, I got the call. I was going up to. Uh, St. Louis to play for the Canucks and then I'm walking into the locker room seeing like Nazi and Mo and Bert and Jovo and Trevor Aldi. and uh, Aldi, Aldi yeah. and uh, all the big boys. The team uh, MVP that year. Well, yeah. That, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and exactly. I guarantee you we lost because of St. Louis. Yeah, we, we lost, lost every uh, game to St. Louis I think 3 nothing that game. Yeah, Curtis Sanford. I don't know. Like, shut us out. Remember, I think Noni had a meeting at the next day or something. <laughs> you guys can't beat Curtis Sanford. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. Killed our playoff hopes. Anyway. But, uh, well, we were close. We You were playing really well for the, us at that time. And it was a fun year. And I finished the year. I played 43 games that year. Uh, Crow was good to me. Like, he gave me my chance. He showed me, taught me a lot of things. Uh, we had a fun group. And uh, it was kind of a rebuilding a little bit for the organization. And they, uh, they made the big trade in the summer. And uh, You're welcome. then we started building uh, for the future kind of thing. Yeah, well, you got something? Well, I was going to say. Jumping in. I heard you breathing over there. <laughs> I, was, I was just, you know, enamored with the conversation. So I jumped in. But because when, when AV was a coach as well, he talked about 
how he met with you in training camp a couple of years later and said, you got to be better. Otherwise, yeah. you're not going to be on this team. Yeah. And you got signed to that three-year deal because after your, or after your rookie season because you showed well. And I think you only had, what, a, two or three goals, in 80, three, yeah. three goals in 82 games. And I was like, you need a better bottom line. What was that conversation like? And then it exploded because then you had the 30-point season. Then you find yourself on the Sedin line, and then your career takes off. Yeah, I uh, still remember that. Like, obviously, the, my first year I did all right. Like, uh, I think it was 12 points in 43 games. And then then the second year, it was terrible. Like, I I was on the fourth line. I accepted my role as an agitator. It was a, we had a playing on the penalty kill. Um, I accepted my role, but... I wasn't good enough. Maybe that second year jinx that people like to talk about that you think it might be easier, you don't work as hard or you're starting questioning yourself, your confidence as low, whatever reason it was. Um, I remember meeting with AV at the end of the year, the year-end year meeting, and he told me that it wasn't good enough, son. Like, you need to get much better, like physically stronger. You need to get faster. You need to take your career really seriously. Now you're like almost at the crossroads from either being an HL or going back or going to Europe, or you're going to establish yourself in the game. And I really took that conversation uh, seriously. It took 20 minutes to explain to me what I needed to do. And I really took it to art. There are tough conversations to have as a coach and as a player. That's sometimes not what you want to hear at the time. But for me, I respected his opinion. He didn't have to do it, but he wanted to do it for myself, for my career. And I listened to him and I went back and I really buckled down my summer of preparation by working out that I was doing diets. I was sleep, like I was doing all the right things. I was waiting my food, my chick, like everything. I was trying to make sure I was covering all the bases and checking all the boxes. And uh, finally, the year after, moved up to the third line, more of a checking line with Kess and uh, Yannick Hansen, and then we were playing against the other team's top line, try to be in their face, and then we would be able to create some offense somehow. And uh, I think from that summer on, that's where I really realized that my career could take off and I could have some success. That conversation, that's that's in, was it in French or English? One-on-one -on -one with I'd with say mostly in French, one-on-one -on -one yeah. with A.V. would say a son. See the things I think That's, about? Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if that was an English conversation or not. Um, you're right. Like, those types of conversations that sort of make you realize. Like, there's, it's one thing to make it and play some games, but to, like, take a next step. Yeah. Was, was that – were there more of those along the way, or was it like, okay, you've, you've got it, and you just continued to gain traction? And no, kinda... we've had a few uh, meetings throughout the years – Every coach I've had meetings, one-on-one yeah. uh, -on -one meetings, and uh, they've always been. Sometimes you you want to understand what he's saying. You're trying to. You're not maybe uh, always happy, or you're not always uh, agreeing with what mm -hmm. he's got to say. But at the deep down, I always felt that all my coaches wanted the best for me. That's exactly how I felt. They wanted me to succeed. They wanted the team to succeed. And I was willing to do whatever it took to help the team to succeed. So if you wanted me to play that kind of game, I was going to play that kind of game. If you wanted me to maybe change that a little bit, my ways and antics, I would change my ways and antics. So uh, they've always been good to me. And uh, that's how I try to coach now a little bit. Now the new generation, we talk to them on a daily basis. We, if they have issues on the ice or system or structure what's going on with hockey that's one thing but if they have anything going on uh in their personal life with their girlfriends their families uh, their agent whatever we're our doors always open we let them know from day one and uh, they know where we have their back and they can call us 24 7 and because this these guys they've get 
information uh, fed at them from left and right nowadays, like their agents, their parents, their friends, social media throws information at them and they want to know where they stand at all time. And I'm fine with it. Uh, I like my players right now and uh, they're good kids. <laughs> right. We must have won last game. No, you we like, lost like the last two. Right so now. we had a tough last right. week, but, uh, but you're I on love the West their attitude. The East Coast, so. I love their attitude. They work hard. They want to do so well. And, uh, but it did. It does change. Like in my days, no news is good news. Like yeah. if the coach wasn't talking to me for a couple of weeks, or Randy wasn't talking to me, or Crow was, and I was, I felt great. I felt that I was doing my job, and I didn't have any issue. Where nowadays, if you change your lineup, you change a guy's spot, a deep pairing, a forwards line, a power yeah. play unit. Like you need to explain to that guy because otherwise they start thinking so much, and they feel that they might there's something wrong. And so you just honest conversation. You let them know why you're making these decisions. They might not be happy with it but i think when they at least they get the information they know where you stand and that's all they want to it's, know. it's so true like you come to the rank you're like oh he didn't even look at me today thank god <laughs> i'm okay right like it's uh coming to my office you're like oh no it was a plane ticket oh Just yeah send me down or whatever but I, I mean let's do let's get into coaching i mean like it's did you like you talked a little bit about how different it is now when did you realize that coaching may be in your future uh I've always wanted to keep the door open. Like, you know, when you meet with the PA, they tell you all the time, like, don't think you're going to play the game forever. Like, you start preparing your post, your second career. And yeah. for me, I knew that I wanted to stay in hockey. Like, hockey's always been my number one passion. And I just love watching games. I love being around the, like, that team chemistry kind of thing, that team-oriented uh, goals. And uh, I always liked being involved and having teammates and stuff. So for me, I'd like, to stay in the game. I wasn't sure if I wanted to be more in management side of things or coaching side of things or maybe work in the media, speaking and talking and teaching about hockey. But for me, when the opportunity came up to work with uh, Joel Bouchard, that's my uh, head coach right now, and we've got we've known each other forever, uh, work for the Montreal Canadiens. We have an unreal setup in Laval, just 20 minutes north of Montreal, where we have a brand new building holds around eight, ten thousand people and we have good fans. Our locker room was great and like our players have been really good. So for me like it it makes a lot of sense. We're back home. The kids are happy. They go to a great school. Wife is happy. Great setup. Uh it was just the timing was perfect and I couldn't pass by. And uh who knows maybe in a few years what could happen. But uh right now I'm en really enjoying myself. I did want to touch on the glory years just a little bit. I know you've talked a lot about it over the past 24, 48 hours. But one of the main reasons I think Canucks fans love you is because they see themselves in you. Because, you know, in, in the West, oftentimes you feel like you're not being heard in the East Coast. And you always feel like you're an underdog. And if, I, I guess it goes back to the 80s with Stan Smeal, the lunch bucket teams. This city has always loved the underdog, the guys that give everything they have. And... How proud were you of being a Canuck? Because it felt like Canucks fans were drawn to you because of the pride you had in the logo on the sweater. Yeah, that's exactly you. You really put it the right way. That's exactly how I felt. Like I felt first when I f signed my first contract, like a member of the Canucks family, and uh, like, and then we I started having some friends that we had played in the minors with, like Aldi, and then the cast, the Ke Kevin Bieksa, and I really love being at the rink and working and getting better with those guys every day. And like you said, everybody loves underdog stories. I didn't have high expectations, so it was easy for me to ex always exceed my expectations. I didn't have 
people or numbers thrown at me all the time. So anything I did, it was almost, oh, he's doing great. He's doing great. He's, he's got three hits. Oh, he's had a great game. He's had <laughs> zero turnovers. Oh, he's had a great game. Like people really enjoyed it. And people always like same thing in Montreal, like where my parents always told me like, have fun and work hard and treat people the right way. Like, and I sat next to Trevor my first few years in Vancouver and just looking at Trevor, the way he acted, the way he conducted himself with fans, staff, media, teammates, like he was a great role model for me. And um, so I got really lucky. I feel uh, we had a great team. The timing of it was great. Like great teams. People were watching the game. Canucks were uh buzz in the city and then i got the chance to play with the twins where i could showcase uh, even more oh he, this guy is never going to score 10 goals and now i scored 25 with them and then the expectations were always low for me and uh, fans always uh, supported me and traded me fairly and same with the media i feel like i try to treat them uh with respect and uh but they always in return really were fair to me and uh called the spade a spade you mentioned the twins and I think you'll you'll be forever linked with them. I mean, the mm-hmm. success you you guys had as a as a line. What was that like at the start? Like like you said, you you got told, hey, you're going to play with the Sedin Twins. You you're probably thinking it's like oh a weekend, just like your first call yeah. up to the AHL, right? But it became a generation. And yeah. I mean, what was that? How special was that? Well, I was it was so special for me. Like I was lucky enough that I was able to witness their skill and their hockey IQ and wit- witness them play like for four years before getting my first chance. So every day I was able to watch them in practice. They were amazing the way they could pass the puck, skate the puck, give and go, shoot the puck. Like they did everything well. And even in games, like I sat on the bench, watched them play with Nazi, Anson Carter, uh, Trevor Linden, Steve Bernier, uh, Taylor Pyatt. Like, I saw so many guys play with them and I kind of studied them out what they wanted to do to be successful and what they needed to to be successful. And for me, it was straightforward, super easy to see. Like they need the puck as many times as possible. So as many touches they would get on the puck, eventually the odds that they were going to make a great play with it. So for me, if every time I would retrieve a puck off the four check, if I had no play, I would always give them the puck. I didn't try to beat an extra guy or make an extra move. I felt that if I could give them the puck 20 times off the breakout or off the forecheck, they were going to make the other team pay at one point. And I, once I understood that, I felt, let's go to the net. They're going to work their cycle game. Let's not bring another check in the corner to try to be in their way. Like They need a little bit of time and space. They'll make two-on-two, one-on-one, they'll find ways to uh, keep possession of the puck and make something offensive happen. So I went to the net and I tried to be a, a good screen and keep my my stick on the ice at all time because sometimes if you have it in the air, they would still find the, the passing lane through the legs or they'd sauce the puck over a stick. or they've all, So always be ready and that's how... Uh, I try to be successful with those guys, but they've always been so good to me. Like they've always showed confidence in me, uh, and that was always uh, gonna mean a lot to me. That they never pissed off at me or never took me for less than what they were. And part of that, the way the Sedins played and the way you play with them, is almost like soccer on ice to some degree. As you mentioned, don't create too many players in one area. Create that space, mm-hmm. and then try to vacate space so you find it. How different was their style of play compared to how anybody else played in the NHL? Oh, there was way difference. Like when I remember when I was playing with Kess, we'd try to be like in people's face and be on the forecheck and be gritty and be direct, be north, uh, play the north game. Where with them, for me, it was just give them the puck and then 
take someone then it open some space for them and go to the net and then they do their own thing They're, they would work their own magic and even off the cycle some guys would like to release and try to go feel that they they need to help them out but they didn't want anybody there like they I, i've seen so many times how good they were able to with that little back end and a little pick and a little look uh like a scissor interchange they would do Um, I knew they didn't need my myself or uh, an opponent in that area, so I stayed away as far as I could. You scored a lot of big goals in the postseason, whether it's the Blues just clinched the series uh, when you swept them for nothing. We all know the goal against the Blackhawks, Game Seven, slayed the Dragon against the Boston Bruins, and a number of the big goals. How much did that demeanor you have help you in big moments? Because some players in big moments they get a bit nervous. It, I mean, I could imagine the stakes are so mm -hmm. high. What allowed you to be at your best in those big games? Well, I think I got lucky, to be honest with you. But at the same time, I always cherish. I always wanted to be in those, put in into those situations. I know some guys, it's not natural for them. They feel that they're afraid to make that mistake that's going to cost. And other guys are just wired differently that they want to be out there. And whatever happens, they want to be the guy to make the difference. And... We used to sit in the locker room all, all the time, like legends are made in the playoffs and they were making these commercials uh, that legends are born in the playoff. And we wanted to, we always try to pump each other up and Lou would say, I, I'm going to shut the door. And then the other guys, okay, let's go. Who's going to get this one? The next shot, we need the next shot. And uh, for me, I always wanted to be out there. I wanted to be a difference maker. And uh, to be honest, like I got some puck luck here and there. And uh, that's uh, sometimes the hockey gods uh, that are going to help you out. And that's how I see it, really. I haven't, wasn't more special, wasn't more skilled, wasn't faster, wasn't smarter than anybody else. But I got some breaks and I took advantage of it. And have low expectations. That's the yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it's it's hard to believe, but not this spring, but this following spring will be 10 year anniversary of 2011. Like that's that's pretty nuts to think it's been that long. Like a little bit of time to step away. You're out of the game as a player. You look back on that era, right? That I mean, that's some of the best hockey the Vancouver Canucks organization has ever had in their 50 years. Obviously, a lot of fond memories. But did you realize in the moment? how good that team was and how special a time it was to be a Vancouver Canuck? I don't think we realized at the time how good we were, but like we had one back-to-back -back president's trophy, so we knew we, we were pretty solid. Yeah. Like we could score goals, we could defend well, our special teams were good. Uh, we had a lot of depth in the organization. Um, our goaltending was solid. Like we had re really no holes uh, during those years. And the first... the Uh, the nine and ten seasons we had lost in the second round against the Blackhawks and no a lot of people and then we had Matt's that one year and demo the other and they were like people always say like you gotta lose to learn how to win kind of thing yeah. and then at 11 we got there and we had lost back to back years so we sh like now there's no more excuses we need to find a way to uh, bear down and get it done and then starting against the Hawks we we knew we were good but we maybe didn't know how special the team was And then when we finally lost that uh, game seven against Boston, then the next year, like we bounced back pretty good. Like yes. boys came back with, uh, uh, like with some fight in them, some fire in them. And then we won the president's trophy once again that year. So we were still a solid, solid team, but somehow then we played the LA in the first round and they had clicked, they had peaked at the right time, similar to the St. Louis blues last year, finished eight, 
goaltending was unreal with Quick, that Dowdy and Kopitar and like some guys that were coming up there. And they beat us twice back to back here at home by one goal. One game was in overtime and they were really tight checking games the way the Kings used to like to play heavy games, big, strong along the boards. And that was a maybe not or the best matchup for us at the time. And um, and then we lost that series. And then we uh, it was the end of it. Schneider had played game three, and there's even more Lou and Schneider's controversy. And then it, it kind of ended that uh, stretch of uh, those couple years. Uh, so it was a uh, we enjoyed playing each other. I wish we could add uh, maybe even in 12, maybe mm -hmm. have different matchup and it may be a different story because the Kings went on and they won the next series, I think in four or five, next series four or five and they beat uh, the Rangers real, uh, who was in, yeah, the Rangers in the yeah. final. So uh, I don't think they went six game or seven games any of the playoffs. So they had a good team. They peaked at the right time and I wish maybe that year could have been uh, even more special. You don't want to blame injuries because I know players don't like to, but 2011, we all know mm -hmm. how banged up the team was. Daniel Sedin missing the first few games mm -hmm. against the LA Kings after taking that oh, elbow yeah. from Duncan Keith. Because yeah. I remember, 12, yeah. yeah, I remember in 12, because the first couple of games, that's when you needed the power play to come through. Yeah. The power play looked off. And then he comes back. I think it was game three in LA. Yeah. And all of a sudden, the mojo comes back. You guys are moving the puck. You're scoring goals. I know you don't want to look back too much about injuries. What if? But if Daniel was there, maybe that's a different ser series. Totally agree. Totally agree with you. And we. I remember, I think it was eight games left in the year when he got uh, elbowed by uh, Duncan Keeter in uh, Chicago. And, and Daniel was always like uh, the ultimate warrior. Like he always didn't make it. Like he, they had injuries, both of those guys, and they never really complained or made it like a big scene that they were hurt and they were going to wear the cape tonight to play. So we always felt like Daniel was going to come back and play for the playoffs and be ready. So right now he was only resting kind of thing. And concussions were still not really... Uh, something that we talked about on a regular basis in, in that time. And we always felt that Daniel was going to play. And then when game one came, Daniel wasn't there. And uh, we still felt we could have probably had one without him, even though he was a big part of our team. But uh got to give credit to the Kings. They played really hard. They played the right way. And their best players were their best players. Final question on 2011. What was said in the locker room when the when Jonathan Taves tied it in the third period to force it into overtime? I like I think I was probably responsible for that goal against too. That, that game for me was the craziest game ever. Like scoring the, the first goal, too, in overtime. Scoring the first goal, um, then in the third period, went up one nothing. We I got tripped on a breakaway, got a penalty shot, and I had the worst move ever. <laughs> worst move ever that in the penalty shot of my career. Like no change of speed, no change of angle, terrible shot. Like nothing. Like I don't know. I probably. Uh, uh, froze there when I got a penalty shot. But anyways, and then I took that penalty. I got was involved in that PK goal late in the game. Was I took that lazy penalty in the offensive zone in overtime. So it could have gone either way. And uh, then finally was able to illuminate that big save on Patrick Sharp. And if he would not have made that save, it would not have had the chance to score. And then I think all of us on that pass over were like, that's it. I've been watching like that. That's it. It's gonna go in. Illuminate uh, <laughs> an unreal save. And we had pre-scouted that that uh, play. Uh, like once you're game seven, you know exactly what the other team should be trying to do in the power player. You're not going to get surprised by anything. And that was the play they tried a lot. And uh, I think only Kevin Bieksa missed uh, the read on that one and they got beat <laughs> on the fast. And then uh, Lou saved uh, everybody's uh, uh, job. And uh, who knows what would have happened if we had lost that series, what management would or what 
the ownership would have decided to do with management, coaches, twins, Lou, myself, cast. Like, who, who knows? knows yeah. Who knows what would have happened uh, if we had lost for a third straight year uh, in the first round to the Hawks and after winning the President's Trophy. Like, that's you have high expectations and you're you're not achieving them. Sometimes uh, major decisions are made and uh, a lot of big changes would have been made. When did you first hear? I mean, you scored the big goal. Um, obviously shorty with the slayed the yeah. dragon was that did you hear about that like later that night a couple yeah, days I would the think boys so giving it to you in the locker room i can't really remember i think it was the next like the same night obviously watching highlights and i yeah. had so many text messages and i think uh uh meeting with the boys after the game and then my wife gave birth the next morning so i didn't really i went to the hospital or oh, she's in labor we have to spend the entire day at the hospital i was so happy that we had one to witness at the same time the birth of my first child. I can't imagine if we would have lost that game. It would have like, yeah. I would have been so negative. Like I would have been so frustrated and sad and disappointed. But at the same time, you can't be because it's your birth of your first child. Like it would have yeah. been such a weird feeling. So now because we had one, I really enjoyed that day off at, at the hospital. Yeah, and the then Dragon Slayer. I mean, life's good. Then, exactly. I yeah. felt good. Uh, we just uh, uh, be uh, beat it uh, or our shemesis. So it was nice to move on. And uh uh, then we got ready for the game two, right? Game uh, series number two against Nashville the next day. So it was a lot of uh, moving parts, that's for sure, in that 48 hour period. Well, I, you know, through this whole thing, we talked about a lot of former teammates. We talked about playing with the Twins. Something about you lit up and the look on your face when you talked about playing with Cass. Yeah. And uh, people couldn't see the look on his face. And it was like he was making like a stabbing motion. <laughs> it was like it was like getting on the floor check. Did, you, did the two of you ever plan trash talk going into games? And I don't think we did talk about trash talk, but we knew that we had each other's back. We knew that we were going to do whatever it took to win the game or at least beat the other line. And because I remember AB liked to match us up against the other team's first line. And then we tried, if we'd shut them down, we were probably doing our job. So we didn't really have to cheat for offense. We just waited and we were patient that they were going to give us or some scoring chances by forcing plays and making turnovers and by us being good on the forecheck. That's how we were going to create some offense. But I don't think we've ever like studied or anything, but we were always paying attention at team lunch or team dinners when, because you know hockey is a small family. Everybody's played with someone on the other yep, team. Yep. Everybody's played. Oh, I know this guy. I know this. So I've, we always kept uh, open ears uh, to see what was going on around the league. That's for sure. Well, it's funny because I remember there was a quote where you drove Aaron Downey crazy because you asked him <laughs> about his potato farm. <laughs> like you did research about, like you knew he had a. That must have been <laughs> one of the teammates that had played with him in junior or something. Because he uh, lost his mind, yeah. and we're like, "What did Burrow say to him?" And you're like, "I just asked him about his potato <laughs> farm." <laughs> yeah. Told him he probably ate too many of those uh, potatoes <laughs> also. That, that's probably why he got fired up. <laughs> well, how much fun was that aspect, knowing you could get under somebody's skin just by saying a few words? Burr hated well, that. He hated it. <laughs> like I wish I could have been just a goal scorer, like right. for, uh, coming out at like the Twins, and you're just uh, so gifted that you can just play on offense and play on skill. And I wish I could have been that player from day one, but... I quickly understood, like even from junior to make it in the junior major, to make it in the East Coast, to make it in the American League. Like I wish in all those leagues I could have been just come in and I'm going to be the power play guy. I'll be the half wall guy and I'll uh, direct traffic, traffic. But it wasn't going to be the case. So for me to get to the NHL, I had to do whatever it took for the team and whatever role or whatever chair I would find, I was willing to 
take it and I'd be the best at it. So for me, all those years, all those leagues, all those teams, I had to start as a fourth liner, be in people's face, be hard on the forecheck, be a good dependable guy, be a good team guy. And uh, I was fine with it. And uh, as the years went on, I got more opportunities to showcase my skill set. But uh, I didn't mind it. I didn't do, I didn't enjoy doing it all the time. But for me, if I could help my team win, that's all that really mattered. Because you guys talked a lot about that, you and Kessler and even Bieksa. You're like, we don't care if people outside the market hate us. So I don't care if other fans hate us or other teams hate us. It's about the people in this locker room and that fan base. And, and I know as a fan at the time, when I was a lot younger, that meant so much to the fans here because they felt like there's ownership. There's, you know, as I mentioned, you, were, you had pride in the logo, but it felt like these guys care. They really care. And when that bond gets created with fans and players, that's why you're here being inducted into the Ring of Honor. Well, we did for sure cared a lot about uh, the organization and we cared about each other. We we're like a small family in the locker room. Everybody loved each other. Everybody wanted to compete for each other. And like winning makes it the most fun. And when everybody's on the same page and everybody's pulling together and there's no distractions, everybody's going together and we're pushing this right direction. Uh, it makes it fun to come to the rink every day. And uh, I think Juice was really good at keeping everybody accountable at all time. Like he wasn't afraid if something was out of line or he didn't like someone's work ethic or someone we felt that it was someone was maybe uh, lacking. Uh, we kept each other accountable. Sometimes those were tough decisions. Guys were pissed off. The guys were uh, raising voices, but it, it was all for the well-being of the team, and everybody understood that. Well, it's, it's, you, you talk about that group. The hardest thing leaving here, well, there's a lot of hard things about it, but one thing that was difficult, you go to play on all these teams, and everyone's like, what are those guys like? They're jerks. Like, I'm like no, no, they're, <laughs> they're good guys, I promise. Like, <laughs> But I, I will say this, Burr, appreciate your time. It's been a it was great to sit down with you. I look up in the in the rink and I see, you know, the Ring of Honor, the numbers retired, a lot of great players. The common thread for me, I've played with a number of those guys, been coached by Steamwork was my first professional mm -hmm. coach. Really good people. And you're joining a class group of individuals and you fit the bill. A fantastic teammate and I uh, really appreciate you spending the time with us. And Alex Burroughs, Ring of Honor. Thank you very much, guys. Congratulations. Uh, I loved you as a teammate, and I even like you even more as a media guy now. So <laughs> call me whenever you want. I'll be on the show. Uh, I'm just a phone call away. All right. Thank, thank you. you, guys. Thanks. For, enjoy tonight. Thank you very much. That was one of the most fun interviews I've ever done. Getting the chance to sit down with Alex Burroughs for 40 minutes about to talk about his career and going up in the Canucks Ring of Honor. We're going to do more of these types of interviews as the Canucks pod evolves and... I know you've been waiting for this podcast to finally show up on iTunes, and it should be some news on that very soon, so you can subscribe, rate, and review right here on Sportsnet 650. And finally, Canucks fans, who I like to call Next Nation, thanks for the support. You guys have always been so good to me through the good times and the bad times, so thank you very much.